Thank you, Amanda and Esther and Karen. Thanks for leading us in Billy's absence. If you have your Bibles, find uh, Matthew, please, the second chapter of Matthew. And uh, we're going to read about the Magi. Again, we read part of this in our responsive reading earlier, but we're going to read the whole story. Let me encourage you, if uh, you can, to come back uh, or to stay, go home, get some work clothes on. We, this, uh, we got to take this tree down this afternoon. So if you could help us, we sure would be, uh, sure would be appreciative. There's gonna, lunch is going to be provided, I understand. So uh, if, you, if you can work in uh, those clothes, just stay and eat lunch and help us take the tree down. Matthew 2, and uh, let's read at the very, begin reading at the very first verse. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will, be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Christmas began, of course, for Mary and Joseph uh, when Jesus was born. They didn't have time to um, really enjoy their new family until the shepherds, you know, before the shepherds came. So they turned around, the shepherds were there, they stayed a while, and the Bible says they went out and told folks, so their friends came. We can imagine that without too much of a stretch of imagination that that there was a long string of the shepherds' friends who, who came, and then it wasn't long until the wise men came, and they stayed a while. Joseph and Mary had a lot of company at, at Christmas. I wonder, I just wonder if maybe when the wise men left, as they watched uh, the west end of those uh, eastbound uh, camels head over the horizon, if maybe, if maybe Mary and Joseph sighed, Whew. And said, man, that was great, but boy, I'm worn out. Do you think maybe they, uh, I'm just saying hypothetically, I wonder if that might have, uh, might have happened. Today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany, the day of Epiphany actually is January the 6th, which is 12 days after December the 25th. Because traditionally, uh, the wise men came on the 12th day of Christmas Hence, the 12 days of Christmas and that annoying song about the 12 days of, of Christmas. Uh, 
Now, Jesus probably was not born on December the 25th, and we, we certainly don't know what day that the, the Magi, the wise men, came to visit. It could have been 12 days. It might have been uh, two months. Dr. Henry Everett came and talked to us about the star of Bethlehem, suggested it was a comet, I made a, a compelling case for that and said it could have been two months before they got there or it could have been longer. However, however long it took them to get there, um, there are lots of lessons to learn from this uh, story of the wise men, the Magi. Number one, Christmas is for all people. Christmas is for all people. As I've said, this is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany means a manifestation or a showing up. So the Messiah was manifest or showed up for the Magi. The big deal about that is that they are Gentiles. They're not Jews. An epiphany is also an, a sudden insight. I've had an epiphany, we'll say, when something finally dawns on us. And so the, the Gentiles, the Magi, had this epiphany, this insight. Oh, wait a minute. The the Messiah is not only for the Jews, the Messiah is for all of us. If I were a betting man, I'd bet that when the Magi showed up in Bethlehem with their VIP caravan, that somebody stopped them, maybe a, a Bethlehemite wanting to be neighborly, and asked them, what are you guys doing here? The Magi would have said, we've come following a star to worship the Messiah, and the man from Bethlehem would have said, hey, we're glad you're here. We always appreciate visitors. We, we love having tourists, but let's just be real clear. The, the Messiah is for us. He's for us, us the, the Jewish people. Now, I say that not because Jewish people are, are any more ethnocentristic than we are. We all are ethnocentristic, meaning that our, we think our ethnic group is, is the center of the universe, our clan. We all tend to think that our clan is the center of everything. But if a, a Bethlehemite had said that, he should have known better because all the way back in Genesis, only 12 chapters into the Bible, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation and through you all the people of the world will be blessed. The Messiah was never intended only for the Jewish people. Christmas always has been for everybody. Now, I think we would agree on that, but there are three applications of that truth that I think are really important for First Baptist Church of Huntsville. Number one, the family of God knows no boundaries and knows no nationalities. The family of God knows no boundaries and knows no nationalities. I was in Bryansk, Russia 20 years ago on a mission trip hosted by wonderful Russian Christians. On a bus, on a city bus, I looked across at our translator, a young man, a wonderful, bright Christian young man who was translating for us, only a few years older than our son. And I had this odd thought. If the Cold War had not ended without violence, if it had, had not ended well, then, you know, this young man and my son could be squared off against each other, shooting at each other. It's possible, it's possible that this son, this, this young man could have killed my son or my son could have killed him. 
Both of them deeply devoted followers of Jesus and both of them loved their country. I remembered the words of John Oxenham, in Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Now we're members of the, or we're citizens of the United States, of course, and with that comes loyalty and responsibility and patriotism. But that's balanced always, or at least should be, with our memory that we are, we're members first of the the kingdom of God, which knows no, no boundaries or nationalities. And so we remember that our concern is not just for us, but for the entirety of the globe, particularly the Christian family that is made up of all tribes and tongues and colors and races. It, we are members of a global community. Two, we have a commitment here at First Baptist to be church at the heart of the city but we must never take our eyes off the world. We have a commitment to be church at the heart of the city, but we must never take our eyes off the world. We began 2019 at the heart of the city. On January the 17th, almost a year ago now, over 700 people from across North Alabama were in our life center and our gathering place. It was during the time of the government shutdown, and all those furloughed workers came. There was um, financial counseling, people here doing that. There was There was... There was like a mini job fair, and, and we gave away $16,500 of, of gift cards and for grocery store, and, and we got a lot of national media attention and a lot, more, a lot more credit than we deserved for having done that. We really just opened up the church, but it felt so good to be at the heart of the city. And then we ended 2019, Christmas Eve, down at the Big Spring at Tinsel Trail, the first ever, this community Christmas Eve service. We partnered with our brothers and sisters at First Missionary Baptist over on Blue Spring and with, with Downtown Huntsville, Inc. And at 7, 7.20 and 7.45 had a Christmas Eve service down there at the turn of the Tinsel Trail, right under the, that big nativity scene that we put up, and, and right there at the, at the big historic spring. And I, I didn't know if anybody would show up. We got, I got there at 625, and we didn't have a speaker, and it was my fault. I, I had dropped that ball, and I said, oh, we won't need it. We'll just, there won't be many people here. We'll just, we'll just talk loud. And Brenda Pierce, God bless her, said, no, she, that's, that won't do. So she ran back over here and got the speakers, and boy, I'm glad she did because at 7 o'clock, there was a small sea of people. I couldn't believe how many people were there. And then we, we sang and we, 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 we sang Christmas carols. And the last one, we passed around, we, we, we lit candles. And uh, a lady from First Missionary Baptist, Toya Jackson, sang Silent Night. My goodness. Somebody said, this feels like a Hallmark movie. And it did look a little bit like a Hallmark movie. But better than a Hallmark movie, it was... It was at the heart of the city. Now, don't, I loved what we did here at three and at five, but I got to tell you, my heart was filled, was full at the heart of the city. I think I have a new Christmas Eve fam favorite memory. We are, we want to be church at the heart of the city, but we cannot take our eyes off the world. There are unreached peoples. There are people who don't have the same access to the gospel that people in Huntsville do. And so we're partnering with with missionaries in Uganda who are ministering to refugees. We're partnering with Graffiti Church, a church in New York City, the one of the most international cities, of course, on the, on the planet. We want to make sure we support missionaries well and, and keep our eyes on the world because Christmas 
is for, for everybody. Christmas is for everybody. That means we're members of the, the family of God the, that knows no boundaries and nationalities. We, we are heart of the, at the heart of the city, but we can't take our eyes off the globe. Three, we will be a better church when there are more of us who don't look like most of us. We will be a better church when there are more of us who don't look like most of us. When we have people in worship and membership and fellowship and leadership who are of color, we will be a stronger church. Our impact on our community will be extended. Our witness to an increasingly skeptical world will be enhanced. Our own lives will be enriched. Now, I know we talk about cultural differences. I hear that a lot. But pastor, there are cultural differences that keep us apart. I understand that completely. But I've been a part of a church where we got intentional about it and we prayed about it and we invited people and we let people know that you will not be tolerated here. You will be valued. And, and I saw people of color who wanted to be part of this culture, who wanted to be part of, of, of what was going on. And, and it so wonderfully enriched me and enriched our, our church. Christmas is for, is for everybody. And it doesn't, doesn't mean everybody separated on Sunday mornings. I, I think it, it should mean people together. I, I believe a great church should be a multi-generational church, and I believe a great church should be a multi-ethnic church, and I'll be preaching that until God calls me home. So, the first lesson from the Magi, these people from afar, remember, these people from afar, from the east, they were Gentiles, and Christmas is for everybody. Second lesson from uh, the Magi is everybody was not and everybody is not happy about Christmas. Everybody was not and everybody is not happy about Christmas. When the, the Magi arrived with that caravan, that VIP caravan, when they came into Jerusalem, word spread quickly through the streets. These, these foreigners are here and they look really important. And so word quickly spread to the, to the palace of, of King Herod. And he, was, he was jealous. He was uh, paranoid. He was ruthless and barbaric, and so he wanted to know what they were doing there. They, they said, we've come to see the king. Well, his, the hair on the back of his neck rose, his blood pressure rose, and um, he invited the magi to, to tea and coffee to find out about, where, about this new king, and he made up this story. He said, well, you find out, when you find out where he is, you let me know so I can come and worship him. Uh, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. We know that because he had all the boys, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem killed. He didn't know it, but Mary and Joseph already had fled to Egypt. But we see his intention was to wipe out this king. But Herod, Herod was just a small pawn in a much bigger battle. In the world just beyond this one, that invisible world called in the Bible the heavenly realms, a real world just beyond that thin veil that separates this one from that one. In that world, an epic cosmic battle was taking place. In the book of Revelation chapter 9, it describes using dramatic language the battle between 
between the destructive hateful, uh, hatred of the evil one and the redemptive love of the Father, when they, when they battle over this Messiah, when the evil one wanted to destroy the Messiah because that changed, the introduction of the Messiah to the world changed everything. And so this cosmic epic battle was taking place. Herod was just a, a part of it. And that battle continues. We're going to dedicate the mosaic uh, and on May the 2nd and 3rd. When they finish that center uh, panel, bay, which is the, the Christ panel. When you leave today, if you go that direction, notice the crown uh, above his head. That it is not on his head. That it sits above, not on. The artist did that because he wanted to remind us that though he is king of the universe, the final coronation has not taken place. There will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king of the universe, but until then we live in territory that is not only occupied, but under, largely under the control of the evil one. And so there are storms, hurricanes, tornadoes. There are diseases. There are, there's death. Good things happen to good people because we live in, in a fallen world where Jesus has not yet been, been crowned king. One day he will be. But until then, we, the battle goes on. Ephesians 6 says it like this. Our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms in that world just beyond this one. So we are opposed and the world is increasingly not only skeptical, but in opposition to what we believe. Because neither then nor now is everybody happy about Christmas. The third lesson, the first lesson is Christmas is for everybody. Second lesson is everybody wasn't, everybody isn't happy about Christmas. Third, Jesus was born to die. And I know many of you have heard this, but let's remember the gifts that the Magi brought. They brought gold. Mary, we, we imagine her like at, a Christmas, like, at a, like at a baby shower, you know, unwrapping the gifts. And she unwraps the first one, and it's gold. And she thinks, well, that's, that's really neat because he's going to be a king. These guys really put some thought into this. And then she unwrapped the frankincense, which was a rosin a sap from a, a, from a rare tree and it was used for incense and spice and she thinks well he's going to be a priest these guys didn't just stop at Walgreens on the way they really thought this through and so this is a really neat thing they got frankincense and then she opens the third gift and she doesn't know what to say it's like at a baby shower if you were there and the, and the, and the mother unwraps a gift and it's it's embalming fluid. She, she unwrapped myrrh, which was used to prepare bodies for burial, and she wonders, why would they, why would they do this? Maybe, maybe it dawned on her. Maybe it dawned on her when Jesus died that they were, this was a foretelling that he was born to die. There are a lot of people, when we think of them, we think of their deaths. We think of the assassination of Lincoln and Kennedy and Martin Luther King we think about the, the accidental overdoses of people like uh, Whitney Houston and uh, Michael Jackson. When we think about suicide, we still think about Robin Williams and Anthony Bourdain. Their, their deaths in some ways define their lives or at least shed light on their lives. But, but nobody's, nobody is defined by his death like Jesus. 
In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the books that tell his story, a third of the content, a third of the content relate to the death of Jesus because he died not just the death of a martyr, but the death of a redeemer, of a savior. He, 1 Peter 2.24, he took upon himself our sins on the cross and, and that, that history-changing moment defines his life. He, he was born to die. So we remember that Christmas is for everybody. We remember that everybody's not happy about Christmas still. And, and then we also uh, remember that the gifts born by the Magi remind us that Jesus was born to die. But there's a fourth, um, there's a fourth lesson from the story of the Magi, and that's the light, the star, this comet, whatever it was. The Bible's very specific that it came to rest right over the place where Jesus lay. This light, this comet, whatever it was, the Bible makes a point to say it came to rest right over the place where Jesus lay. In a world of relativism, in a world of anything goes, that is significant. In a world where we're told, you believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe, because it's all relative, that the light is right over Jesus is significant. In a world of anything goes, I'll write my moral laws, you write your moral laws, ethical laws, you, in that kind of world, it's right over, it's right over Jesus, and that matters. During the Living Christmas Tree, um, our theme was light, and I, I told some stories about pilots who had um, followed wrong lights. I see Gene Gygax back there. He let me tell a story about him landing on a, an aircraft carrier out in the ocean and followed the wrong light, and instead of on the landing strip, almost flew into the big, uh, that big they call it the island, that big multi-storied thing on the boat. And he, he, he said people on the ship hit the deck, people in his plane said things Gene couldn't repeat, and then they realized where they were headed and had to pull around and then and then Jonathan Morris we were leaving here we were leaving Jonathan Morris and, and Susan members of our church uh, that Sunday morning we were leaving here and Jonathan said he'd heard me like the night before tell a pilot story he said well I got a story of my own so that Sunday afternoon and Sunday night, I told Jonathan's story. He'd gotten his license. Uh, one day, the very next day, he was flying at night. The first time, he was flying uh, from, from uh, Chattanooga. He flew from Lawrenceville, Georgia, Georgia to Chattanooga and back. And so he was going to land at Lawrenceville, Georgia Airport that night. And in case you didn't hear me tell the story, let me tell it quickly. So he was going to land at the airport in Lawrenceville, Georgia, the first time he was flying by himself at night. And, you know, the, on the... On the on the radio, there's always this very technical language that lots of us wouldn't understand, but, but Jonathan was beginning to descend toward the Lawrenceville airport when the, the guy on the, at the tower dispensed with all the technical language, and he said, son, where are you going? And, uh, and Jonathan said, I'm, I'm landing at the Lawrenceville airport, and uh, the guy on the radio from the tower said, Son, the Lawrenceville Airport is to your left, about 12 miles. You're about to land at the Gwinnett Place Mall, which is right outside Atlanta. So I enjoyed telling those pilot stories. This is the last Sunday of Christmas, so let me, let me wrap, put a kind of ribbon on the present and wrap things up with one more, one more pilot 
story. In 1943, we were embroiled in World War II. On April the 4th, 1943, 25 U.S. bombers left Libya flying north to Italy where they were going to bomb a site in Naples, Italy. 25 bombers left, 24 bombers returned. The one that they kept waiting for that never came was named The Lady Be Good. There's book, there are books written about The Lady Be Good because largely it's, it's, we're guessing what, what happened. But the legend of The Lady Be Good, by the way, 16 years later, a civilian plane was flying over the Libyan desert and they found or they saw wreckage which turned out to be the wreckage of The Lady Be Good. And it was south of where they were supposed to land. So, so picture this. So they're here. They're here in Libya. The 25 bombers fly north toward Italy, do their thing, fly back toward Libya. But the Lady Be Good is found, the wreckage of the Lady Be Good is found down here south of where they were supposed to land in Libya. So the legend is that they're flying back and um, their instruments say that it's time to time to look for the landing site, time to descend and look for the landing site. But they had not been flying long enough, they felt like it. They knew how long it would take to fly from Italy down to, to Libya, and they, they felt like they hadn't been flying long enough. But what they didn't, the legend says, they didn't take into consideration was they had a strong tailwind, so it, they were flying a lot faster than they otherwise would be. And, and so even though their instrument said, this is the place, their, their feelings told them otherwise, and they flew until they ran out of gas and crashed. I know it sounds corny, and it sounds preachery, but there is an instrument panel. There is a guidance system. We don't get to write our own codes. We don't get to go by our own emotions and experiences. There, there is a guidance system. And at the heart of the guidance system, remember, the star comes and it rests directly over the place where Jesus lay. At the heart of the guidance system is the story of Jesus. And some of you are searching and you're wondering about what is ultimate truth and there's so many signals out there. That, that, so this star is not like the fireworks that just point in all directions. There is, it's very specific. It's over Jesus. So I'm going to say to you in closing what I said to all those folks at the living Christmas tree. If you're looking for answers, if you're looking for truth, Jesus is the answer to your most profound questions. And only Jesus can satisfy your soul.